ברוך אתה, אדוני אלוהינו, מלך העולם אשר נותן תורת אמת ובשורת ישועה לעמו ישראל ולכל העמים על ידי בנו ישוע המשיח, אדוננו. Praised are you, Adonai our God, King of the universe, who gives the Torah of truth and the good news of salvation to his people Israel and to all the peoples through his son Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. כי אינני בוש מבשורת המשיח, אשר גבורת אלוהים היא לתשועה לכל המאמין, ליהודי ראשונה וגם ליווני. כי בה נגלתה צדקת אלוהים מאמונה אל אמונה, ככתוב, וצדיק באמונתו יחיה. האיגרת של שאול אל הרומאים, פרק 1, פסוקים 16 ו-17. For in it is revealed how God makes people righteous in his sight, and from beginning to end it is through trust. As the Tanakh puts it, but the person who is righteous will live his life by trust. The letter to Shaul, Paul, to the church in Rome, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Peace be upon you and welcome back to this biblically enlightening, false doctrine crushing and slightly controversial two-year anniversary 20th episode of Finding Higher Ground Messianic Jewish Perspectives on Modern Day Events The devil and his demons are in a panic when they hear that manic messianic commanded to speak the light of Messiah Yeshua into a dying world from somewhere deep in the heart of Seattle, Washington, USA. Here is your host, Gotti Heyer.
big special thank you to all the people at Spotify, Spotify for Podcasts, Epidemic Sound, and of course, Team Audacity. This podcast and others like it would not be made possible without your hard work. so much for all the hard work you do. I am sitting here at my PC, trying to figure out just exactly how I'm going to begin this episode 20 of Finding Higher Ground. Now, I know in my last episode, I did promise you that I was going to make a podcast about who exactly is this Malkitedek guy mentioned in Genesis, and why is he so important? But unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, I am going to have to put that on hold because something much more important came up and caught my attention that needs to be addressed, and I wanted to share this with you. Oh, be, be assured that there will most definitely be a podcast episode regarding who exactly is Melchizedek and what is the Melchizedek uh, order, the priestly order of Melchizedek. We will discuss that in depth, but not in this podcast. And as I usually do before I start recording a podcast, to quote-unquote get in the zone, I will usually listen to worship music. Of course, just to clarify, when I say get it in the zone, I mean have a an intimate encounter with Ruach Kodesh, the Holy Spirit. Now, I have a rather large collection of really, really powerful, awesome worship music on my playlist. And as a matter of fact, I listen to that playlist quite diligently. I fall asleep to it, I wake up to this playlist, I, w I listen to it when I'm going to work, when I'm walking to the bus stop. I have a nice 20-minute walk to the bus stop from where I live. So I'm pretty immersed in worship music for a very large part of the day. And here, as of recent, I have made a very interesting personal discovery. I realized for myself for the very first time just how important worship is. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about the influence, the super powerful influence that music has over you? And it's quite astonishing really when you think about it, when you break it down, you're emotionally stimulated, emotionally charged from vibrations of frequencies in the air at different ranges. That's all it really is. It, 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 it hits your eardrum and your brain interprets it as music and this triggers an emotional response. Isn't that absolutely amazing? Does that not amaze you? I think that's absolutely astonishing. It is absolutely astonishing that certain vibrations that travel through the air at different frequencies would impact our eardrum and just so happens that our brain processes it as music. And people want to tell you that that's all by accident. I'm going to veer off just a little bit here and, and, and come at you with this angle of, of people out there 
trying to tell you that this that that all of this life life itself is is merely accidental and here i'm explaining to you the dynamics of music about you know the same thing with light it's the same thing with light you break down visible light and you have different frequencies of visible light and they and it hits our eye and we and our brain and Adonai's infinite wisdom managed to have our brain decipher that as color which is basically light bouncing off of something into our eye in certain frequencies so again I'm amazed by all of that and and then people want to tell you that that that's accidental and and there's no design behind that and I I have to disagree it can absolutely be no accident that our ears can perceive music and our eyes can perceive colors. Any intelligent being will be able to see that there is intent and purpose and design in all of this. So if there's intent and purpose and design, there must be a designer, right? So back to music and specifically worship. Now, let's be real. I have not listened to worship music my whole entire life. About half of my life. And before I started listening to worship music, I listened to a, a rather large amount of what one would call worldly music. Music of the everyday. And of course, this would be the music that we all grew up on. All the music that we hear on the radio, all the greatest hits, all the greatest rock bands, you name it. And while there are some very talented artists out there that produce extraordinarily high-quality music, absolute genius, and I'm, I won't go into details or I won't necessarily name names, well, okay, maybe a few, like, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and say that I think that Led Zeppelin is the greatest rock band of all time. That's just the way things are. And I'm aware that people might disagree with me, and I, I might, I'm even aware that there might be people that would be horrified to hear me even say such a thing. Oh, Mr. Manic Messianic, how could you listen to such horrible, terrible music, Led Zeppelin? Anyway... Moving forward, did I say that all this music glorifies Adonai? No, I did not. Now, and here's the thing, that's the whole point. Here in the last two years, two and a half years, I have been listening to worship music practically non-stop. And I gotta tell ya, there's a very big difference between what would be called worldly music, common music, and music that worships, actively worships Adonai Elohim. There's something intrinsically different about it. I have listened to worldly music, common music, worldly music my whole life, and I have not gotten from worldly music what I get out of worship music. What is worship? Okay, Google, please give me the definition of worship. Sure. According to Wikipedia, worship is showing regard with great respect, honor, or devotion. This is maybe encountered in religious settings. In such instances, it may represent divine worship. 
Reverence for a divine being or supernatural power. This activity may have other focuses, such as hero worship. Okay, Google. What is true worship? According to G3 Ministries, in contrast to vain worship, true worship is any and every expression of obedience, praise, honor, adoration, and gratitude offered to the true God by a regenerate soul who knows the truth about God and loves him. Hmm. Very interesting. Of course, I've never heard the term vain worship before. I mean, what's the point? So what was that? True worship is any and every expression of obedience, praise, honor, adoration, and gratitude offered to the true God, which would be Yudhe Vavhe, Yeshua the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit, which is also Yudhe Vavhe. Gratitude offered to the true God by a regenerate soul who knows the truth about God and loves him. Interesting. I guess vain worship would be when you are listening to some kind of common music or worldly music because when you're listening to common music you're kind of worshiping the song or the band or the talent of the people rather than the creator of the music for example if i were to listen to led zeppelin then i'd be worshiping led zeppelin and not yudhe so I guess that would be a really good example of vain worship. And while listening to Immigrant Song or Cashmere is absolutely amazing, because they are two great songs, they simply don't do what worship music does for me. Worship music is a completely different level of joy. Why is it joy? because it is God's promises being sung into my brain. When I listen to worship music, not only am I admiring my God and praising my God for everything he has done for the nation of Israel throughout the millennia of linear time, I'm also admiring and thanking my God, praising my God, Yudhe Vavhe, for doing what he's doing in my life on a personal level. A very good example for that would be my 90-year-old mother here coming to the full acknowledgement that she believes that Yeshua, HaMashiach, Messiah Yeshua, is in fact, like I said, just like I just declared, Messiah, and not just the Son of God, but Adonai Elohim himself that came down from his heaven as a human being. If it can happen to my 90-year-old Jewish mother from New York, it can happen to you. If there happens to be a random non-believer that um, stumbles upon this podcast and and gives me the honors to listen to me, then I will tell you, I will say this again, if it can happen to my 90-year-old Jewish mother, it can happen to you too. All you gotta do is open yourself up to the truth, the reality of Messiah, Yeshua. So for that, I just have to say, Todalecha Avinu Malkeinu. Thank you, our Lord, our Father in Heaven, our Father, our King, thank you for bringing, bringing my mother to the reality that is your Son, Yeshua the Messiah.
Thank you for sending your Ruach HaKodesh to show my mother, to give my mother wisdom for her to understand who is exactly the true identity of this man that we call Yeshua. And in Greek English, he would be referred to as Jesus. Hallelujah! Praise Adonai! Adonai is good on his promises. I have waited for this moment for 26 years. And I have, uh, I have worship music on my playlist, on my worship playlist. I have music that's both in English and in Hebrew. Some songs are actually sung in English and in Hebrew. I even have a song that's sung in Hebrew, English, and in Arabic. And while I'm listening to these beautiful worship songs, the music is just absolutely not of this world. I can't put my finger on it. I can't describe to you what I mean by that. But when you, when you listen to it, you'll understand. Worship music fortifies the truth in your soul. Worship music makes, it, it, it helps the truth take root deep within your soul. I believe that Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, absolutely loves music, especially when it's sung for her. By now you should not be shocked of me referring to the Holy Spirit as female. If you've listened to my previous podcasts, you should know why I refer to the Holy Spirit as female. I do want to I want to go back to the whole worship aspect of this because I'm leading this is all leading to something. I'm going somewhere with this. Bear with me. While I listen to these biblical truths sung into my head and into my heart and soul, I realize that these songs, everything that I'm listening to is I'm being shown how this all of this is a fulfillment of prophecy. When you listen to worship music, you are fulfilling prophecy. Because the good news you are a part of it now. If you've truly listened to the good news, Matityahu, Mark, Luke, and Yohanan and you've really looked at this person, this character, HaMashiach Yeshua, Yeshua the Messiah, from the, from the perspectives of these four people. And if you've come to accept that Yeshua is exactly who he says he is, and he did everything that these accounts of the good news testify that he's done, then you, my friend, have shifted from being a non-believer to a believer, and you are part of the story now. You have been chosen to be a part of the story of the good news. That's the good news. And worship music reminds you of that constantly, that you have a part in Adonai's bigger picture to the Jew first, and then also to the non-Jew. Here, I'll actually read it to you from the Complete Jewish Bible by Dr. Stern. And, it, and I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and it goes like this. And this is Shaul of Tarshish. Shaul of Tarshish, that's Hebrew, the Hebrew name of 
Paul, and he says this, For I am not ashamed of the good news, since it is God's powerful means of bringing salvation to everyone who keeps on trusting, to the Jew especially, but equally to the Gentile. For in it it is revealed how God makes people righteous in His sight, and from beginning to end it is through trust. As the Tanakh puts it, but the person who is righteous will live his life by trust. That part right there. To the Jew especially, but equally to the Gentile. That's crucial. I've said this before on another podcast. When a Gentile non-Jewish person comes to the knowledge, comes to the reality of Messiah Yeshua, it's a wonderful thing and it's phenomenal and it's earth-shattering and life-changing. But when a Jewish person comes to the reality of Messiah Yeshua, it's like coming home and he wasn't he didn't even know that he was lost. It is a completely different whole nother level experience. I don't want anyone to get the impression that I'm belittling your salvation. I am not. Chas v'chalila. God forbid. I'm just making the emphasis that for a Jewish person, a person who was raised under the law of Moses, born into the law of Moses, comes when he comes, he or she comes to the realization of who in who in fact, in reality. Yeshua the Messiah really is, because he's not just a man, he is more, so much more. When a Jewish person comes to that reality, it is transcendent. I have lots of worship music, in English and in Hebrew. When I listen to my worship songs in Hebrew, that's where the fun really begins, because you have to understand, dear listener, Jewish people, Israelis in particular, don't really listen or sing songs in Hebrew about this man, Yeshua Jesus. It's something that is relatively very, very new in the world, and at the same time it's not. I say it's not because this too is a fulfillment of prophecy. Remember, there hasn't been songs of praise and worship to specifically Messiah Yeshua in the Hebrew language for 2,000 years. The fact that I, as an Israeli Jew, can worship Yeshua the Messiah, aka Jesus Christ, in his native language of Hebrew is a fulfillment of prophecy. It's a miracle. I believe that it is a, a sign. I believe that it is the beginning of the blossoming of the fig tree. And if you have wisdom, you will understand what I say when I say that is the beginning of the blossoming of the fig tree. Remember when Yeshua cursed the fig tree and what he said to the fig tree? Well, we are in the season of the beginnings of the blossoming of the fig tree. That sounds like a whole entire other podcast. We'll leave that for another another episode. But I'm here to tell you, dear listener, believer and non-believer alike, Jewish people especially Israelis, are waking up in droves to the reality of just exactly who this man, HaMashiach Yeshua, Yeshua the Messiah, is. I listen to the worship music, both in English and especially in Hebrew, and I am touched, touched on a level 
a spiritual level, a soulful level, that is very difficult for me to describe in words what I feel when I am touched in this way. I'm touched this way because I was there. I was there. I walked the Via Dolorosa. I was at the Garden of Gatshmanim, Gethsemane. My feet have been where he has stood. And while I am absolute dirt and that makes me nothing, I have been given the privilege and the honor of learning his language and seeing Jerusalem and being saved in Jerusalem and walking in his footsteps there. Adonai Elohim himself has personally blessed me with the fortune of living in Jerusalem, going to school, growing up, and living in Jerusalem for 14 years of my life. Adonai Elohim has blessed me even further by giving me the opportunity to live in the city of Jerusalem both as a non-believer and a believer in Messiah Yeshua. Both, both are very different experiences. I know what it's like to live as an Israeli in Jerusalem as a non-believer and a believer. In Bemikre Yesh Toshav Ezrah Israel Shekarega Makshiv La Podcast Haze and Yrotselo Dialachem Shani Had Mikem. If there are any Israelis out there that are listening to this podcast by any chance, I'm here to tell you that I am one of you. Veish Asher Nikra Yeshua. המשיח, שאותו למדתם לשנוא, אני אומר לכם, שהוא גם אחד משלנו, והוא גם אחד מכם. And I'm telling you that this man, that is called Messiah Yeshua, that you were taught to hate, I'm here to tell you that he also is one of you. You must understand, my Jewish brothers and sisters, that Abba Father, Adonai Elohim himself, has personally sent you an invitation to come on home, and that invitation is Yeshua the Messiah. Look at your rabbis, how they disappoint you. Can any one of your rabbis give you eternal life? No, they cannot because they died, but my rabbi can give you eternal life because he died and lived. My rabbi is life. Yohanan 14.6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7 Because you have known me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him. In fact, you have seen him. Vayomer elav Yeshua Anochi haderech vhaemet vhaachayim לא יבוא איש אל האב בלתי על ידי. לו ידעתם אותי, גם את אבי ידעתם, ומעתה ידעתם אותו, וגם ראיתם אותו. יוחנן, פרק 14, פסוק 6 ושבע. taking a ride to my job and I'm listening to my worship music and these promises are being sung into my heart and these tears of joy are streaming down my face I'm not exaggerating this is not a story that I'm making up just for the sake of this podcast this happens every day and it happens because I understand his promises 
I'm confident in his promises to me and to my people and to you, should you choose to believe. But then, after two and a half years of intensive learning and getting to know the character of Adonai Elohim through his manifestation of Messiah Yeshua to the world, to come across an article that was published, written and published by my, well, I want to call him my colleague, but I can't because he's educated and I am not, but he is my brother in Messiah all the way from Israel. His name is Dr. Eitan Bar, and he is affiliated with One for Israel Ministries. And he wrote an article addressed to a one very famous pastor, John Hagee. Before I touch on that right quick, I want to share with you something that I actually found on Facebook. Yes, I still use that silly app um, that Eitan, Dr. Eitan Bar published here uh, on August 11th. Um, and <clears throat> if, if I'm allowed to quote from you, Dr. Bar, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to say that I'm going to just go ahead and uh, get it out there. He, you, you, you touch a very good point, and I was sitting here talking about worship for the last 24 minutes or so, and um, you bring up a, a solid point. Dr. Barr asks, when did worship become solely about singing songs? In the Bible, that was praise. To worship, in the Israelites' mind, included sacrificing. Jesus, Yeshua, never said, sing to me. He did, however, command us to sacrifice by feeding the poor, clothing the homeless, caring for the sick, visiting the imprisoned, welcoming the stranger, and transforming an enemy into a friend by loving them. Ah. That's a very interesting insight, but here in America, when we say worship, well, you know, praise is included, but worship is singing. I'm in a, I'm in a worship band. And I, we have worship, well, we don't really, you can't practice worship, but we practice the singing part. You know what I mean. Just wanted to share that little tidbit with you about worship. And now, back to the actual topic of discussion, which is this one gentleman that goes by the name of John Hagee. It has been brought to my attention that this individual has been teaching false doctrine. Not only has he been teaching false doctrine, but he teaches it under the guise of support for Israel. To all the believers that tune into these podcasts, you might be familiar with the name John Hagee. What you're about to hear next just might shock you. Mr. Hagee, you are a brother of mine, a brother in Messiah, but you have been very, very naughty. And while I do not claim to be anywhere near perfect, and I have my own problems and flaws and faults and shortcomings, I do not run around teaching people false doctrine. Now wait one second, Mr. Manic Messianic, that's a very bold claim. John Hagee has been around for decades, and he's always shown support for Israel. What are you talking about, false doctrine? So I'm on my phone, and I'm on this silly app called Facebook, and I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And I get to this one article from my esteemed brother, who is much more educated than I am, Dr. Eitan Bar. He is the former director of One for Israel Ministries. 
and he publishes this article that's titled Pastor John Hagee of CUFI, Let My People Go. And I read this article, and this article resonated with me in such a way that I just felt compelled to share it with you. Now, Dr. Eitan Bar is a native Israeli. I am not. I was born in the United States, in the state of New York, but I lived in Israel for 20 years, as you well know, and I've, I, I moved to Israel. I did Aliyah when I was about seven. Seven years old. Yeah, right after my seventh birthday. Although I am not native-born Israeli, which is referred to as a Tzabar, a Sabra, I resonate and completely identify with every single word that Dr. Eitan Bar says. So, without further ado, I'm going to share with you this article titled Pastor John Hagee of CUFI, Let My People Go. Please don't love us Jewish people more than you love your Jewish Messiah. What do I mean? I am Jewish. That makes me one of about 14 million. Also, I was born in Israel, Tel Aviv. That takes it down to one of about 4 million. Also, I am a native-born Israeli Jewish follower of Yeshua Jesus the Messiah. That now makes me one of about 7,000. Being part of the remnant, Romans 11, 1 through 6, is no easy task. Yeah, no kidding. On the one hand, many of my fellow Jews, who only know what the rabbis have told them about Yeshua, tend to look at me as if I have betrayed my heritage and chosen to follow some kind of pagan god. We Messianic Jewish believers are not very popular among the majority of the Jewish people here in Israel. But on the other hand, more and more Christians now base their understanding of God's plan for Israel on what they see on CNN and BBC. That is to say, not very favorably. We, Israel, are getting less and less popular among the church and the nations too. So I guess it's safe to say, as the English saying goes, that I'm caught between the devil and the deep blue sea. While I am very encouraged by the support and love for my nation of Israel coming from many of my Christian brothers and sisters around the world, I am also very saddened when I hear read things from these very people who love my country so much that they don't seem to think Jewish people even need salvation through Yeshua, Jesus. Oy va'avoy, chas v'chalila, that's terrible. Israel may be great, but it's not perfect. We also need to have our sins paid for, just the same as everybody else. To suggest otherwise is condemning us to an eternity separated from God. I would go even further and say that it's not just condemning the Jews, but it's condemning the entire world. People who love Israel to death. Some good examples can be found in the teachings of the well-known Christians United for Israel chairman, Pastor John Hagee. In his teachings, Hagee promotes the false idea that the Jews do not need a personal relationship with Jesus, but can be saved just by keeping the Old Covenant. Tragically, he said, the law of Moses is sufficient enough to bring a person into the knowledge of God until God gives him a greater revelation. Everyone else, whether Buddhist or Baha'i, needs to believe in Jesus, but not Jews. My dear friends, believer or non-believer alike, this is an absolute lie. 
We will prove, Dr. Eitan Bar and myself, and Yeshua, actually, we will prove to you that this is a lie through Dvar Adonai, the Word of God himself, and the rest of this article. Shocked? I certainly was. Well, that would make two of us, Dr. Eitan Bar, because I'm shocked too. When I first heard it, heard, when I first read this, my jaw literally dropped to the floor. I could not believe that I was hearing this spoken by a so-called pastor, and with such a reputation like John Hagee, because he's a known name. Let us continue to dig even deeper. It seems that Hagee fails to understand the purpose of the Abrahamic Covenant, nationalistic covenant having nothing to do with personal salvation, that God made with our nation. Nor does Hagee understand the purpose of the Law of Moses. How does Hagee expect Israel to keep the Law of Moses now that we have no priesthood, no temple, and no sacrificial system, all of which comprise the heart and essence of the Law, and was only meant to lead us to Christ? You see, we cannot separate Moses' covenant from Moses' laws. The laws are merely an outgrowth of the covenant. They cannot stand on their own, just as eating mayonnaise and mustard is pointless without the sandwich itself. And then it says here, our new book on the Torah explains that farther, and the letters are in blue, which indicates that it's a link, and I tap on the link, and look, looky what you see here. It's that famous book, Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus, that I've been dissecting. Uh, gradually throughout my podcasts, which reminds me, it's time for me to do that again. That's Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus from One for Israel Ministries. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. Anyway, back to the article. The covenant was ratified by the shedding of blood, Exodus 24, 8, and was maintained by the blood of the sacrifices upon the altar, Exodus 30, 10. Without the sacrificial system, we are unable to keep Moses' covenant. Besides, the Bible says that no one is able to keep the law, nor be justified by the works of the law, Galatians 2.16. Therefore, no one was ever able to receive salvation through it. It is only, all caps, only the blood of Yeshua the Messiah, Jesus, that can save us and wash away our sin. Amen, hallelujah, yes, I agree. Hagee goes further in his book, In Defense of Israel, which, ironically, ends up being far more of a danger to Israel than a defense. Alright, check this out, because this is where the deception gets broken down. Hagee says, The sovereign purpose for Jesus' life was to be a light to the Gentiles, page 133. But Yeshua said that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, Matityahu 15.24 Hagee says, There is not one verse of scripture in the New Testament that says Jesus came to be the Messiah, page 136. But Yeshua himself said, He was the Messiah. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Yohanan 4.25.26 That's Futina, the woman at the well. Some pronounce her name Fotini. Fotini, Fotina, the woman at the well. Speaking of the woman at the well, I am going to now read to you from Yohanan chapter 4, verse 22. It's one of my favorites. So I'm going to reach over and open up my trusty 
complete Jewish study Bible and look for Yohanan 4.22. Bear with me, dear listeners. Hold on, here it comes. John 9.8.1.2.3. Chapter 4, verse 22. You people don't know what you are worshipping. We worship what we do know because salvation comes from the Jews. How do you explain that one? John Hagee. It's really funny to me how this verse is skipped over and ignored. Gentile body of Messiah, did you hear that? Those are the words of the Savior that you follow. Salvation comes from the Jews. And yet, when anything Jewish is mentioned, you squirm uncomfortably in your seats. Why is that? My beloved pastor of Epic Life Church here in North Seattle, Washington, had shared with me earlier that he was about to observe Sukkot in his home. Upon hearing such news, I was elated because this man gets it. He understands that there are appointed times, Mo'adim, set by Adonai for Israel to observe. And because the Gentiles are of Israel, the Gentiles should be observing the things that Israel observes and doing the things that Israel does. Because you now, because of your faith, because of your faith, you are now of Israel. This whole notion and idea that Adonai has done away with his people is absolutely silly. It goes completely against Romans 9, 10, and 11, as we are going to get into here in a moment. Hegi. Achi, what are you thinking? This isn't what Shaul or Yeshua are saying. Did you make up this book just so that you could make a quick buck? What's your deal? Are you the hired hand that Yeshua talks about in John 10? I digress. Back to the article. Hagi says the Jews were not rejecting Jesus as Messiah. It was Jesus, Yeshua, who was refusing to be the Messiah to the Jews. Page 140. Lie. Absolute lie from hell. But Yeshua said, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I'll even say it in Hebrew. Baruch haba, B'shem Adonai. OG. Where does that verse come from? Where does that come from? Is that New Testament stuff or is that in the Old Testament? Let, let me find it real quick. Yeah, it's in Psalms. Tehillim, Psalms 118.26. So, Old Testament. Or better known yet as the Tanakh. Torah Nevi'im Ktuvim, Tanakh. It's all Jewish, Hagi. I don't know what you're talking about. Everything that you believe in, your Messiah that you claim to believe in is a Jew. A Torah observing Jew. He observed the Torah until the moment he completed it. And he completed the Torah on his cross. On his cross and when he stepped out of that grave on the third day. His completing the Torah doesn't stop at the cross. He fully completes the Torah when he steps out of his grave on the third day. In victory. Victory over hell, death and the grave. Here's another lie from Hagi. He refused to be their Messiah, choosing instead to be the Savior of the world, page 143. But scripture says, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, Yeshua, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. These lies aren't actually really from Hagi. These lies are from the adversary. 
and the adversary is apparently using Hagee as a vessel of deception. Brother, John, you need to wake up, bro. Any one of you pastors that claim that God is done with his people and that Yeshua has refused to be their Messiah, you are all in the wrong. Do you see the problem? Hagee holds a false teaching called Wider Hope, which is a branch of Dual Covenant Theology. Whatever the heck that's supposed to be. The Israel you might not know. The idea promoted by some Christians that it's fine for Jewish people to continue to reject Yeshua as Messiah grieves me as an Israeli Jew, not only because it is heresy, but also because I know a side of Israel that people like Pastor John Hagee doesn't. Oh yeah, I'm all about this because I can relate to this on the molecular level. Yeshua, who obviously strongly believed in the Bible, made less of a big deal out of territory and land than he did about taking care of people, especially the poor, the needy, the elderly, widows, orphans, and so on. Yeshua's message wasn't at any point a geopolitical one, but a spiritual one. Peace in the Middle East will not come from Binyamin Netanyahu, nor from Hegi's CUFI, but can only take place at the foot of the cross when Jews and Arabs will recognize and put their trust in the Prince of Peace. Amen, hallelujah, yes. Again and again, the Hebrew scriptures emphasize and teach that the nation of Israel must take care of its people, especially the weak, poor, and needy. Yet today, one out of every three Israeli children suffer from poverty. Israel ranks fourth in child poverty in the developed world. The medical system is collapsing for lack of funds and medical staff. Israel has OECD's most crowded hospitals. According to Transparency International, corruption in Israel is embarrassingly ranked 60 out of 100. One in four Holocaust survivors suffer from poverty. On multiple occasions this past year, I myself have brought food to Holocaust survivors who face the weekly decision of whether to buy food or to buy necessary medicine. Human trafficking reports rank Israel with third world nations. The sex trade in Israel generates up to $500 million in revenue per year, that is over $60 a person, while prostitution is legal and widely available in Israel. In its annual report for 2012, the International Narcotics Control Board lists Israel among the countries that are major manufacturers, exporters, importers, and users of narcotic drugs. Israel is one of the world's leaders when it comes to abortions with 55 babies being killed every day and our government is the one subsidizing it. Disgusting. You see, just like anywhere else in the world, our country is comprised of sinful human beings who unfortunately are yet to recognize their need for their savior. As a result, our country's immoral decisions are evident. Just to be clear, I love Israel, and the fact that I am able to criticize my own government proves that Israel is the only true democracy in the Middle East. Anywhere else, and I would have most likely been face to face with Jesus by now. Haha. Ahavti et shalcha, Eitan. I love your sense of humor, brother. As the people of Israel, our hope should not be in our government, nor in the IDF, but in our Savior alone. 
what God's heart really delights in is not waving the flag of Israel, or shiny new IDF tanks, or even olive oil purchased from the Promised Land. It is when a human being makes a decision to follow the Messiah. What our people really need is Yeshua. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, hallelujah. I cannot stress it enough. So, dear Christians, as an Israeli Jewish follower of Jesus, my challenge for you today is not to love us Jews into hell, but to live up to the biblical mandate of provoking us to jealousy in Yeshua. Romans 11, 11. Trust me, I myself am living evidence that it worked 16 years ago, and it's still working with many other Jews. Here comes the important part. Dear Pastor Hagee, I love you as a brother in Christ, yet let me challenge you that my nation, Israel, doesn't need your millions of dollars supporting secular, secular causes, a lot of which ends up with the anti-missionaries who fight us sharing the gospel, nor do we need your political support. What Israel needs is the message of the gospel. What my people need is to hear about Yeshua, our Jewish Savior, who gave his life for us so that we can find eternal life. Amen, amen, hallelujah. Absolutely astounding. John Hagee, by denying the gospel, the psora, the good news, to the people that it originates from, you are doing a disservice to the world, and you are displeasing Adonai Elohim. I am calling upon you to repent. Yeshua, Jesus, the one who you claim to serve, is a Jew. He was a Jew, he is a Jew, he will always be a Jew. Adonai Elohim decided to manifest himself to the world through a Torah-observant Jewish man. You cannot take this away from the Jewish people. The whole point of the Gentiles getting the good news is so they can provoke the Jews to jealousy in the Messiah. That they would be jealous of the Gentiles having an intimate relationship with their Messiah and they're missing out. But you, and people like you, instead of going into the depths of the Jewish Torah and exploring the roots of your Christian faith, the Jewish roots of your Christian faith, no, you go out and you invent a whole new doctrine that's a lie from hell. Repent, John Hagee, before something worse might happen to you. And not from me, but from Adonai himself. I'm going to end this podcast by reading three passages of scripture. The first one will be John 10, the good news of Yohanan, chapter 10, in its entirety. Secondly, I will read from the book of Romans, Shaul's letter to the church of Rome, chapters 9, 10, and 11, in their entirety. And then last but not least, I'm going to read to you from the book of Ephesians, Shaul's letter to the church of Ephesus. I think I'm saying that right. Ephesus? Ephesus? Ephesus. That sounds better. Sounds more Greek. Ephesians 2. All of it. Let's begin. Sefer Yohanan, Perek Eser, the book of John, chapter 10. Yes, indeed. I tell you, the person who doesn't enter the sheep pen through the door, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. But the one who goes in through the gate is the sheep's own shepherd. This is the one the gatekeeper admits, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep, each one by name, and leads them out. 
After taking out all that are his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they recognize his voice. They never follow a stranger, but will run away from him because strangers' voices are unfamiliar to them. Yeshua used this indirect manner of speaking with them, but they didn't understand what he was talking to them about. So Yeshua said to them again, Yes, indeed, I tell you that I am the gate for the sheep. All those who have come before me have been thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If someone enters through me, he will be safe, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life, life in its fullest measure. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he isn't a shepherd and the sheep aren't his own, sees the wolf coming, abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf drags them off and scatters them. The hired worker behaves like this because that's all he is, a hired worker. So it doesn't matter to him what happens to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life on behalf of the sheep. Also, I have other sheep which are not from this pen. I need to bring them, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, in order to take it up again. No one takes it away from me, on the contrary. I lay it down of my own free will. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. This is what my father commanded me to do. Again, there was a split among the Judeans because of what he said. Many of them said, He is a demon, and he is Meshuga. Crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the deeds of a man who is demonized. How can a demon open blind people's eyes? Then came Chanukah in Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. It was winter and Yeshua was walking around inside the temple area, in Shlomo's colonnade. So the Judeans surrounded him and said to him, how much longer are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us publicly. Yeshua answered them, I have already told you and you do not trust me. The works I do in my Father's name testify on my behalf, but the reason you don't trust is that you are not included among my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I recognize them and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. They will absolutely never be destroyed and no one will snatch them from my hands. My Father who gave them to me is greater than all, and no one can snatch them from my Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Once again the Judeans picked up rocks in order to stone him. Yeshua answered them, You have seen me do many good deeds that reflect the Father's power. For which one of these deeds are you stoning me? The Judeans replied, We are not stoning you for any good deed, but for blasphemy because you, who are only a man, are making yourself out to be God. Yeshua answered them, Isn't it written in your Torah, I have said, you people are Elohim? 
If he called Elohim the people to whom the word Elohim was addressed and the Tanakh cannot be broken, then are you telling the one whom the Father set apart as holy and sent into the world you are committing blasphemy just because I said I am a son of Elohim? If I am not doing deeds that reflect my Father's power, don't trust me. But if I am, then even if you don't trust me, trust the deeds, so that you may understand once and for all that the Father is united with me, and I am united with the Father. One more time they tried to arrest him, but he slipped out of their hands. He went off again beyond the Yarden, where Yohanan had been immersing at first and stayed there. Many people came to him and said Yohanan performed no miracles, but everything Yohanan said about this man was true, and many people there put their trust in him. That was from the Good News of Yohanan, chapter 10. And now, just like I said, I'm going to read from Romans, the letter to the Roman Church, chapters 9, 10, and 11 in their entirety. I am speaking the truth, as one who belongs to the Messiah, I do not lie, and also bearing witness is my conscience, governed by Ruach HaKodesh. My grief is so great, the pain in my heart so constant, that I could wish myself actually under God's curse and separated from the Messiah, if it would help my brothers, my own flesh and blood, the people of Israel. Commentary from the Manic Messianic Are you hearing this, Brother Hagee? These are the words of Paul which you claim to follow. And as a completed Israeli Messianic Jew, I am here to tell you, sir, that these words of Shaul resonate with me with great clarity and strength. How dare you teach that the Jews do not need the gospel in order to get salvation? How dare you, sir? Rant over. They were made God's children. The Shekhinah has been with them. The covenants are theirs, likewise the giving of the Torah, the temple service, and the promises. The patriarchs are theirs, and from them, as far as his physical descent is concerned, came the Messiah, who is over all. Praised be Adonai forever and ever. Amen. But the present condition of Israel does not mean that the word of God has failed. For not everyone from Israel is truly part of Israel. Indeed, not all the descendants are seed of Avraham, rather, what is to be called your seed will be in Itzchak. In other words, it is not the physical children who are children of God, but the children the promise refers to who are considered seed. For this is what the promise said, At the time set I will come and Sarah will have a son. And even more to the point is the case of Rivka for both her children were conceived in a single act with Yitzchak, our father. And before they were born, before they had done anything at all, either good or bad, so that God's plan might remain a matter of his sovereign choice, not dependent on what they did, but on God, who does the calling. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. This accords with where it is written, Yaakov I loved, but Esav I hated. So are we to say it is unjust for God to do this? Heaven forbid. For to Moshe he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will pity whom I pity. Thus it doesn't depend on human desires or efforts, but on God who has mercy. 
For the Tanakh says to Pharaoh, It is for this very reason that I raised you up, so that in connection with you I might demonstrate my power, so that my name might be known throughout the world. So then, he has mercy on whom he wants, and he hardens whom he wants. But you will say to me, Then why does he still find fault with us, after all, who resists his will? Who are you, a mere human being, to talk back to God? Will what is formed say to him who formed it, Why do you make me this way? Or has the potter no right to make from a given lump of clay this pot for honorable use, and that one for dishonorable? Now what if God, even though he was quite willing to demonstrate his anger and make known his power, patiently put up with people who deserved punishment and were ripe for destruction? What if he did this in order to make known the riches of his glory to those who are the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in the advance for glory, that is, to us, whom he called not only from among the Jews, but also from among the Gentiles? As indeed he says in Hosea, Those who are not my people I will call my people, her who I was not loved I will call loved. And in the very place where they were told, You are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. But Ishayahu, referring to Israel, cries out, Even if the number of people in Israel is as large as the numbers of grains of sand by the sea, only a remnant will be saved. For Adonai will fulfill his word on the earth with certainty and without delay. Also, as Ishayahu said earlier, if Adonai Tzvaot had not left us a seed, we would have become like Sdom, we would have resembled Amorah. So, what are we to say? This, that Gentiles, even though they were not striving for righteousness, have obtained righteousness, but it is a righteousness grounded in trusting. However, Israel, even though they kept pursuing a Torah that offers righteousness, did not reach what the Torah offers. Why? Because they did not pursue righteousness as being grounded in trusting, but as if it were grounded in doing legalistic works. They stumbled over the stone that makes people stumble. As the Tanakh puts it, Look, I am laying in Sion a stone that will make people stumble, a rock that will trip them up. But he who rests his trust on it will not be humiliated. Brothers, my heart's deepest desire and my prayer to God for Israel is for their salvation, for I can testify to their zeal for God, but it is not based on correct understanding. For since they are unaware of God's way of making people righteous and instead seek to set up their own, they have not submitted themselves to God's way of making people righteous. For the goal at which the Torah aims is the Messiah who offers righteousness to everyone who trusts. For Moshe writes about the righteousness grounded in the Torah that the person who does these things will attain life through them. Moreover, the righteousness grounded in trusting says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring the Messiah down, or who will descend into Sheol, that is to bring the Messiah up from the dead, what then does it say? The word is near to you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word about trust which we proclaim, namely that if you acknowledge publicly with your mouth that Yeshua is Adonai and trust in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be delivered. For with the heart 
One goes on trusting and thus continues towards righteousness, while with the mouth one keeps on making public acknowledgement and thus continues towards deliverance. For the passage quoted says that everyone who rests his trust on him will not be humiliated. That means that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Adonai is the same for everyone, rich toward everyone who calls on him, since everyone who calls on the name of Adonai will be delivered. But how can they call on someone if they haven't trusted in him? And how can they trust in someone if they haven't heard about him? And how can they hear about someone if no one is proclaiming him? And how can people proclaim him unless God sends them? As the Tanakh puts it, how beautiful are the feet of those announcing good news about good things. The problem is that they haven't all paid attention to the good news and obeyed it. For Ishayahu says, Adonai, who has trusted what he has heard from us. So trust comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through a word proclaimed about the Messiah. But I say, isn't it rather that they didn't hear? No, they did hear. Their voice has gone out throughout the whole world and their words to the ends of the earth. But I say, isn't it rather that Israel didn't understand? I will provoke you to jealousy over a non-nation. Over a nation void of understanding I will make you angry. Moreover, Yeshayahu boldly says, I was found by those who were not looking for me. I became known to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, All day long I held out my hands to a people who kept disobeying and contradicting. In that case, I say, isn't it that God has repudiated his people? Heaven forbid, for I myself am a son of Israel, from the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Binyamin. God has not repudiated his people, whom he chose in advance. Or don't you know what the Tanakh says about Eliyahu? He pleads with God against Israel. Adonai, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars and I'm the only one left, and now they want to kill me too. But what is God's answer to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not knelt down to Baal. It's the same way in the present age. There is a remnant, chosen by grace. Now if it is by grace, it is accordingly not based on legalistic works. If it were otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What follows is that Israel has not attained the goal for which she is striving. The ones chosen have obtained it, but the rest have been made stone-like, just as the Tanakh says. God has given them a spirit of dullness, eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear, right down to the present day. And David says, Let their dining table become for them a snare and a trap, a pitfall and a punishment. Let their eyes be darkened so that they can't see, with their backs bent continually. In that case, I say, isn't it that they have stumbled with the result that they have permanently fallen away? Heaven forbid, quite the contrary. It is by means of their stumbling that the deliverance has come to the Gentiles in order to provoke them to jealousy. Commentary by the Manic Messianic Are you paying attention, John Hagee? Did you hear that? I'll repeat it again, just for you. In that case, I say, isn't it that they have stumbled with the result that they have permanently fallen away? Heaven forbid! 
Quite the contrary, it is by means of their stumbling that the deliverance has come to the Gentiles in order to provoke them to jealousy. Moreover, if their stumbling is bringing riches to the world, that is, if Israel's being placed temporarily in a condition less favored than that of the Gentiles is bringing riches to the latter, how much greater riches will Israel in its fullness bring them? Meaning, look what you have gained by Israel not knowing Messiah Yeshua. Look at all the wisdom and knowledge that you have gained from Adonai from Israel not knowing Messiah Yeshua. Can you imagine what you would know if Israel came to the full knowledge of Messiah Yeshua? And that Gentile body of Messiah is your duty, your divine duty. It is your divine duty and purpose. So for you, John Hagee, to say that my people do not need the good news of salvation through Messiah Yeshua is heresy. However, to those of you who are Gentiles, I say this, since I myself am an emissary sent to the Gentiles, I make known the importance of my work, in the hope that somehow I may provoke some of my own people to jealousy and save some of them. For if their casting Yeshua aside means reconciliation for the world, what would their accepting him mean? It would be life from the dead. And you dare to preach the opposite of Paul's words, John Hagee. Not only do you preach false doctrine, but you charge people for it. Hired hand indeed. Rant over. Now if the challah offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole loaf. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and have become equal sharers in the rich root of the olive tree, then don't boast as if you were better than the branches. However, if you do boast, remember that you are not supporting the root, the root is supporting you. So you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True, but so what? They were broken off because of their lack of trust. However, you keep your place only because of your trust. So don't be arrogant. On the contrary, be terrified. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he certainly won't spare you. So take a good look at God's kindness and his severity. On the one hand, severity towards those who fell off. But on the other hand, God's kindness towards you, provided you maintain yourself in that kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Moreover, the others, if they do not persist in their lack of trust, will be grafted in because God is able to graft them back in. For if you were cut out of what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? For, brothers, I want you to understand this truth which God formerly concealed but has now revealed, so that you won't imagine you know more than you actually do. It is that stoniness to a degree has come upon Israel until the Gentile world enters in its fullness, and that it is in this way that all Israel will be saved. As the Tanakh says, out of Zion will come the Redeemer. He will turn away ungodliness from Yaakov, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. With respect to the good news, they are hated for your sake. 
but with respect to being chosen, they are loved for the patriarch's sake, for God's free gifts and his calling are irrevocable. I hope you're paying attention, John Hagee. Irrevocable cannot be taken away. Just as you yourselves were disobedient to God before, but have received mercy now because of Israel's disobedience, so also Israel has been disobedient now, so that by your showing them the same mercy that God has shown you, they too may now receive God's mercy. For God has shut up all mankind together in disobedience in order that he might show mercy to all. O oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How inscrutable are his judgments! How unsearchable are his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Or who has given him anything and made him pay it back? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That was Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapters 9, 10, and 11 in their entirety. Ha'igeret shel Shaul el HaRomaim, Prakim 9, 10, and Shaul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 2. You used to be dead because of your sins and acts of disobedience. You walked in the ways of Ha'olam Hazeh, this world, and obeyed the ruler of the powers of the air, who is still at work among the disobedient. Indeed, we all once lived this way. We followed the passions of our old nature and obeyed the wishes of our old nature and our own thoughts. In our natural condition, we were headed for God's wrath, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy and loves us with such intense love that even when we were dead because of our acts of disobedience, he brought us to life along with the Messiah. It is by grace that you have been delivered. That is, God raised us up with the Messiah Yeshua and seated us with him in heaven in order to exhibit in the ages to come how infinitely rich is his grace, how great is his kindness towards us who are united with the Messiah Yeshua. For you have been delivered by grace through trusting, and even this is not your accomplishment, but God's gift. You are not delivered by your own actions, therefore no one should boast. For we are of God's making, created in union with the Messiah Yeshua, for a life of good actions already prepared by God for us to do. Therefore, remember your former state, you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcised by those who merely because of an operation on their flesh are called the circumcised, at that time had no Messiah. You were estranged from the national life of Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants embodying God's promise. You were in this world without hope and without God. But now, you who were once far off have been brought near through the shedding of the Messiah's blood. For he himself is our shalom, peace. He has made us both one and has broken down the mechitza, which divided us by destroying his own body, the enmity occasioned by the Torah with its command set forth in the form of ordinances. He did this in order to create in union with himself from the two groups a single new humanity and thus make shalom, peace and in order to reconcile to God both in a single body by being executed on a stake as a criminal and thus in himself killing that enmity. 
Also, when he came, he announced as good news, Shalom to you far off and Shalom to those nearby. News that through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers. On the contrary, you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's family. You have been built on the foundation of the emissaries and the prophets, with the cornerstone being Yeshua the Messiah himself. In union with him, the whole building is held together and it is growing into a holy temple in union with the Lord. Yes, in union with him, you yourselves are being built together into a spiritual dwelling place for God. You just heard chapter 2 from Shaul Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. My dear listeners, I read this to you so that you could have a clear picture and understand the relationship between Adonai Elohim and his people, the Jews. Out of the mouths of Shaul and even Yeshua himself, you have heard today, right now, that God is not done with his own people. And it is up to you, my dear Gentile brother or sister, if you know about Yeshua, it is your divine obligation to tell a Jewish person in love about his Messiah or her Messiah. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through Messiah Yeshua. I let the words of God speak for themselves. I love you, Brother Hagee. Repent. Turn yourself around and return to your Jewish rabbi and understand his plea for his people. Thank you so much for taking the time and listening to my podcast. Be on the lookout for the next episode of Finding Higher Ground, episode 21. Who the heck is Melchizedek and what is the Melchizedekian priesthood? I will leave you now until next time with the ironic priestly blessing. Yivarchecha Adonai v'ishmerecha, Ya'er Adonai panav elecha v'yechunecha, Isa Adonai panav elecha, v'yasem lecha shalom, b'shem ha-Mashiach Yeshua. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai shine his face upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift his face upon you and give you his peace in the name of Messiah Yeshua. Shalom Alechem, Unishtamea Bekarov. Peace be upon you, and you will be hearing from me soon.